What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dat who dat stuff? Who dat? You know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our 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 chant. Duncan Holder podcast back at you. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here on the Athletics Podcast Network. Of course, uh, you can find our podcast many different ways. Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. So rate, review, subscribe, do all that good stuff. And you could subscribe through The Athletic. Not only do you get your podcast, but you get great New Orleans coverage and national coverage of every sport known to mankind. You can go through there. Theathletic.com slash dunk and holder. You could also get 40% off your first year subscription. So certainly worth the trip. But uh, just to kind of go through what we're going to be talking about today, it's going to be half and half. Saints talk first half, Pelicans talk the second half. I know Jeff's just getting back from the Super Bowl and plenty of conversation going on down there about quarterback future and uh, we're gonna take a look at a what if scenario uh, in this podcast and then uh, I was able to go to the Pelicans game on Friday night Uh, Pelicans uh, blew out the Grizzlies but then lost at Houston and where does that put them right along the trade deadline so we'll talk about that as well here on Duncan Holder Uh, but Jeff just uh, first of all you went to the Super Bowl but you went for the Hall of Fame ceremony. Just your quick thoughts on that. I mean, I know you were kind of beating the gavel for Sam Mills. He didn't get in. But just your overall thoughts on, on the class. Well, I thought the class that got in was probably uh, certainly well-deserving. I thought it was a tough year, Larry. Uh, once you got past Troy Palomalo, who was uh, first-year eligible safety and a guy that I think most people felt like deserved to go in right away, uh, once you got past him, the other 14 candidates were all very even. And it was very difficult to discern uh, who was going to kind of rise up and become part of that uh, class for 2020. And I thought Sam Mills uh, was – the way the process works, uh, there's a random drawing of the presenters for each case. And uh, that way there's no favoritism or it's not in alphabetical order. And it just so happened this year that Sam Mills came up first. And because I'm the New Orleans representative, I have to present his case. Now, he's a unique player in that he he played in Carolina after he was in New Orleans. We all know he's got a statue of him outside Carolina's stadium there. And he also played for the Philadelphia Stars in the USFL. And this is the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's not the NFL Hall of Fame. So that counts. That, that period of his career counts. So we had three different people presenting him, Paul Domowicz from the Philadelphia um, News, I think, Inquirer, and then also um, uh, Darren Gant, friend of ours, who used to be at the Charlotte Observer and now is at Pro Football Talk. He covered Sam during his career in Charlotte. So we all three kind of tag-teamed the presentation on Sam Mills, and I thought we gave a great presentation. There, were a lot of, there was a lot of support in the room for him, but we went first. And that was at 7 in the morning. And by the time the meeting is over, it's 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And everyone in the room has heard 14 other presentations. And I think that worked against him, to be honest with you. Just the process of how how the day played out. Uh, you know, people's minds are kind of numb. They've forgotten your presentation. And so I don't think that helped matters. But I also think he was kind of up against it a little bit because, uh, you know, he this was the first time he'd been on the ballot, Larry, 
uh, in his career. He's been eligible for over 14 years. And so that meant, means that people in the room were not voting him to get on the into the final room before that. So there was probably some already some built-in uh, bias against him that he was having to fight compared to these other players on the ballot. But I thought the final five was deserving. I, I voted for Alan Fanica uh, to make it, and I was surprised he didn't make it. It was very close between him and Steve Hutchinson. But I think Alan Fanica's time will come, much like Edrin James and Isaac Bruce. Uh, you know, these players have had to wait six, seven years to finally make it in as finalists. So uh, I was not upset at all with how it turned out. Well, Jeff, you make a good point about Sam Mills because I was going to ask the question, isn't this the first time he's even been a finalist? And so uh, if it's taken you that long to get there, it's going to be an uphill battle seemingly. And, uh, you know, when you don't have as many kind of front runners uh, this year, like you mentioned, only Troy Palomalu, and then the rest was really – uh, seemingly a coin flip because so many of these players were so similar. And you bring up a good point with Steve Hutchinson and Alan Fanica, of course, Alan Fanica, former LSU Tiger. So some interest down here with him. Uh, but next year, uh, who are the candidates you're looking at? Is Peyton Manning? Yes. He's, he's going to be eligible next year. So he'll be the no-brainer, of course. Uh, plenty of local ties to Peyton Manning. But uh, who are some of the guys you think that maybe did not – get in this year that might have a good shot next year. Now that you've got some of these guys who are kind of borderline guys over so many years, a lot of them have gotten in this year. Well, I think it's going to be very difficult next year because in addition to Peyton Manning, Larry, you also have Charles Woodson and Calvin Johnson. And I think all three of those guys are going to be first ballot Hall of Famers. So it's going to really leave only two open spots. That's why it was so important to try and get in this year and I got to say, I mean, the, the presentations were just tremendous. The people in that room put in so much time. And I think it would be eye-opening sometime to actually see some of it televised. I know that the Pro Football Hall of Fame does a good job, NFL Network, of showing snippets of our presentations. But I think it would be illuminating to everyone just to see how much effort and time and research is put in to the process. I mean, it is a lot of work. And the, the presenters really take responsibility, feel an obligation to the player and, and his family and his career to make sure that they're presented right. But the fact of the matter is trying to pick between I, – I can, I can call it – it's like a beauty contest. I mean, every candidate in the room is beautiful. I mean, they're all tremendous players. You don't get that far without being a great player. And trying to pick between a guard – that played maybe in the in the 1990s and compare them to a linebacker like Sam Mills who played in the 1980s and 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 didn't win championships and against say Richard Seymour who played for the Patriots in the little more of the modern times but won championships and you're you're evaluating how much did Seymour contribute to the championships compared to Sam Mills I mean it's just myriad ways you can compare players and it's a it's a difficult process but I don't know a better way to do it the way it's done. So I think next year is going to be one of the biggest classes ever. And I think it's going to be difficult for Sam Mills, frankly, to maybe even get back as a finalist. So he may, he may end up being a senior candidate down the road. And I think he'll get in eventually because there was a lot of support for him and a lot of people believing he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame just not maybe as deserving as some of the guys that went through this year. Well, speaking of Hall of Fame, I'm thinking we're on the the, uh, the verge of uh, a Hall of Fame career with Patrick Mahomes, of course, Super Bowl MVP, uh, 
tremendous player, first three years in the league. And Jeff, uh, as I teased kind of at the beginning of the show, uh, we're trying we're going to do a little bit of a what if scenario here. It's kind of based on good timing now because uh, look, the Saints have admitted publicly that if Patrick Mahomes was at number 11 in the 2017 draft, they would have taken him. And if people remember, the Chiefs traded up to number 10 to take Patrick Mahomes. Then there was Marshawn Lattimore, and Jeff number 12 was Deshaun Watson. So it's it's obviously the Saints weren't as enamored with Deshaun Watson as they were with Patrick Mahomes and now we're talking about quarterback futures and three years down the line and you evaluate these draft classes and and Jeff quarterback has been such a big topic uh, so far lately I, I always wonder what if the Saints would have drafted Patrick Mahomes what if the Chiefs didn't move up what if I forget which team was ahead of them but what if Lattimore went 10 and Mahomes was at 11 and they selected him how much earlier would we be having this quarterback conversation if Mahomes was in the building? I, I would have I would have to say probably at least a year earlier, right? I mean, just think about how quickly uh, Mahomes got in the lineup for the Chiefs. But Alex Smith certainly isn't Drew Brees, so it's a different scenario. Uh, but Jeff, you'd always you always have these what if scenarios, and now that you've seen what Mahomes has done, and now you see where where the Saints are, kind of in a bit of a quandary right now with what they want to do. Uh, maybe not next year, but going forward, uh, it, it makes you wonder, man, what what would have happened if they would have taken Patrick Mahomes? <clears throat> well, they almost did. I mean, you, you alluded to it in 2017. The Buffalo Bills actually were on the clock ahead of the Saints. There you go. There you and go. that was back when they were in total rebuild mode, and they needed players everywhere. And you could have easily seen, have seen them adding Marshawn Lattimore at number 10. He was clearly one of the best players on the board. And the Saints at the time is the, the really the crazy pick in that whole draft. There were a bunch of them, but the really craziest one was number nine. The Bengals took John Ross, wide receiver from Washington, ahead of Patrick Mahomes, Marshawn Lattimore, and Deshaun Watson. Uh, you know, all three of those players have made the Pro Bowl. But once that happened, uh, you know, Sean Payton's told me this story before. He was in the war room, and Drew Brees happened to be visiting with two of his Purdue. Uh, teammates, Ben Smith and J- Jason Lorzell, they'd been out hog hunting, Larry, that day. And they came back, <laughs> they met at the facility. That's where they that's where they kind of used as a meeting point at the parking lot there. And when they came back, they were going to get a little food in the cafeteria. They realized it was draft day. Peyton asked Bree, uh, I'm sorry, Breeze asked Peyton if they could come in and visit. He said, yeah, come on in. And then he realized as, the, as this top 10 was clicking off that they may end up taking the quarterback of the future at number 11 if this thing plays out. And he had to actually have a conversation with Breeze outside the war room and tell him what was going on. It was that close. But that was right before the Chiefs traded up with the Bills and got the number 10 pick and took Patrick Mahomes. So it was it was that real. that Their two top players were Patrick Mahomes and Marshawn Lattimore right before the Bills made the trade. And if the Bills would have taken Lattimore, there's no doubt the Saints would have taken Patrick Mahomes at number 11. And you're right. We'd probably be having a different conversation right now because I think what would have happened is he would have been the backup to Breeze that first year just like he was to Alex Smith. But the Saints would have seen him in practice just like the Chiefs did and seen what he was doing, seen that talent. And they traded Alex Smith that next year. Remember, Larry? And 
Alex Smith had one of his best years of his career for the Chiefs that year, but they right. could see the transcendent talent from Patrick Mahomes, and I think the Saints might have done the same thing. I don't know what would happen. It's really compelling. Absolutely. And, Jeff, you think about it, and you say, all right, well, the Buffalo Bills could have used Marshawn Lattimore. Well, they got pick number 27 in that round, and they took Tredavious White. And so that's where White went. And obviously, White's one of the best. uh, This year, he's one of the best corners in the NFL. Yep. And it, it makes you wonder, if the Saints would have taken Mahomes, what would they have done uh, in their next picks, because, of course, they had pick number 32. We all know the famous story about uh, Reuben Foster, how the Saints were ready to draft him. The 49ers uh, were calling, and what, Reuben Foster's girlfriend had to hang up or something <laughs> yes. and on, on Sean Payton or on the Saints. And, uh, and instead, they took the old boring, bland Ryan Ramchek, and uh, how fortunate are they to have made that move. But... The Saints may have gotten antsy and traded up for someone like Tredavious White. And then you go and look there and you say, if they don't take Ryan Ramchick, say they take Tredavious White and they don't take Ryan Ramchick at that spot. My gosh, the tackle class after that was like a ghost town. I mean, there was only one taken in the second round. And that was Cam Robinson from Alabama. He was the only tackle taken in the second round. The third tackle, uh, well, the fourth tackle taken, uh, at, because Cam Robinson would have been third, the fourth tackle was not taken until pick number 85, Antonio Garcia of the New England Patriots. So this whole what-if scenario would have been wild and crazy. And uh, But, Jeff, imagine just the hysteria. Drew Brees, like they, they bounced back in 2017. Uh, say Patrick Mahomes uh, is your backup. And he's sitting there, and, and the Saints were uh, a, a fluke play away from getting to the NFC Championship game. And imagine trying to make a move then. I wonder how public reaction would have been. Probably different than it is now because it seems like people are antsy with Drew Brees. It, it probably would have been a little bit different. Yeah, and I don't think anybody knew Patrick Mahomes at that time was going to be the guy we see now. I mean, we all knew he he was a... A compelling prospect, but he played in that spread system at Texas Tech. And there were a lot of divided opinions on Mahomes, even within the NFL. There were a lot of teams that didn't have him that high. Obviously, he lasted to number 10 in the draft and was, wasn't was even the first quarterback taken. You know, He was the, the second quarterback taken that year. So um, I don't know. I don't know. I think the reaction would have probably been uh, a lot of surprise and confusion, but it was real. And I remember asking Breeze about it a year later when I did a column on this scenario. And it was typical Breeze, right? He said, like, well, if they had taken him, I would have been fine with that. He would have just had to have had to been uh, happy with sitting for a while. <laughs> you know, that's that's the confident right. Drew Breeze. But I don't know if it would have played out that way because of the guy we see on the field right now. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is a transcendent talent and a guy that uh, is going to be leading the Chiefs and making them, I think, Super Bowl contenders for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and let's just think about it this way. They would not have traded for Teddy Bridgewater. They probably still would have taken Taysom Hill just because uh, they liked him and figured he could be kind of a project type of guy. But just think of the scenario. If Drew were to play, have played all the way through, and then Mahomes stepped in and wowed the world instead of Teddy... Would the Saints have stuck with Mahomes? It could have been like Tom Brady and Drew Bledsoe. 
I mean, that could have been a realistic scenario too. I mean, there's so many twists and turns uh, you could play with this because the Saints were on the cusp of that. And it also kind of goes back to the the what-if games. What if Nick Saban would have taken Drew Brees and not Dante Culpepper and so that sort of thing. But Jeff, like, it would have been a legitimate argument because Mahomes came out and played like gangbusters as soon as he got on the field for the Chiefs. Uh, and the reason why they just jettisoned off Alex Smith. But like I said, Alex Smith isn't Drew Brees. There's way more ties uh, with Drew Brees. It would have definitely been a curious situation, to say the least. Yeah, and, you know, I think it's important to note that Sean Payton was very high on Mahomes. I mean, he had one of the highest grades. The Saints had one of the highest grades on him of any quarterback they've graded in the entire time, maybe the highest. And so I think it speaks to the Saints' ability to evaluate quarterbacks. I know they had a high grade on Jimmy Garoppolo as well, but not nearly as high as Patrick Mahomes. This was a special guy. So I don't think they would have taken just any quarterback at number uh, 11. That's, this was a guy that they couldn't pass up, and they knew that. And I think you, know, you have to distinguish between them just taking a quarterback at number 11 or them taking Patrick Mahomes. Because, I, for instance, if Mahomes was off the board, I don't think they were taking Mitch Trubisky or even Deshaun Watson there. I think it was only Mahomes because they viewed him as that level – of player they had him graded that high yeah obviously they didn't take Watson so you know that's was uh they did not have the same sort of uh outlook on him uh and it's also different in that uh, I've talked with Sean Payton a bunch over the years about quarterbacks you have too and even back say in 2012 they were they were giving a good look at Andrew Luck because you just never know so they it's always if they see something like the top-notch champagne on the shelf, and it's just sitting up there, uh, they're not going to just leave it up there. Basically, the same situation in their eyes was Ryan Ramchek. I mean, they mm-hmm. saw he, he was so above and beyond everybody else at that point. You still had Zach Streep at right tackle. They took Ramchek. Then Streep gets hurt four games in. Armstead was hurt to start the year, and so you needed Ramchek right away, and now he's an all-pro. So those are the things you kind of run into as far as – draft luck and uh, mis- fortune and misfortune throughout the years. But, Jeff, look, you obviously paid attention to uh, the reality of the Saints quarterback situation this past week with Sean Payton and Drew Brees doing all the media rounds in the Super Bowl. And, uh, Jeff, I found it curious that Sean Payton really didn't mention Teddy Bridgewater at all. But I also – only curious, maybe not surprising, just because – he probably assumes Teddy's going to leave unless Drew Brees retires. It's a situation you and me have talked about a good bit on the podcast already. Uh, but what do you make of the chatter you were hearing? Almost so adamant that Taysom is the guy. Like It seems like it's more adamant than ever that they feel like they can go forward with Taysom Hill uh, once Drew Brees decides to hang it up. Yeah, it's almost like a foregone conclusion now that Teddy Bridgewater is going to move on. And everyone's kind of accepted it. And nothing really has happened, um, you know, yet. But that's that happened very quickly. Look, they've been high on him all along. You and I have talked about it numerous times. And I think they've always, inside the building, been higher on Taysom Hill than everyone else. And I think where people are maybe making the mistake of evaluating Taysom Hill is they're evaluating him, you know, in the role he's in now and trying to transfer what they see 
to a full-time quarterback position, and things are going to change when he becomes a full-time quarterback. They, they're they still running the Drew Brees offense that, that the Saints have incorporated over 14 years. Now, the package that they use with Taysom is kind of pieced together, and it's certainly a customized package for him. But once they have a full offseason and know he's the guy, the whole offense is going to change. It's going to be the Taysom Hill offense, not the Drew Brees offense with Taysom Hill playing a cameo role. And I think that's important to note. This thing's going to be a running game, running-oriented offense with the ability to pass when Taysom Hill takes over. And I can give you a good example real quick. I'll I'll just make this brief. But when I was doing uh, some book interviews with uh, Sean Payton, he talked to me about the play against the Vikings that Taysom Hill, the the deep ball he threw to uh, Deontay Harris. And he said they ran that play because the whole game, the Vikings were playing shell defense. They were not letting anything get deep when Drew Brees was in the game. They didn't fear the running game that much. What they decided to do, he said, and I know, I know how Zimmer works. He's one of the best red zone defensive coordinators in the league. They were willing to let the Saints move the ball in little bites and chunks. And once they got to the red zone, they were going to try and limit them to field goals. He said that was their game plan, and it was a very good one. He said, but when Taysom Hill came in the game, they had to walk one of those safeties up because they feared the run. They knew that that was how we were going to attack them was with that read option running attack. And we knew that, and they knew they could get deep. And that's why they call it. They didn't call it because Taysom Hill has a stronger arm than Drew Brees. They called it because they knew the defensive coverage was going to change when he's in the game. And I think that gets the gears turning in Sean Payton's mind, right, Larry? I mean, you know how he works. He's thinking, well, man, we can do that for a full game, right? We can have – we can cause that conflict for the defense all the time with that kind of talent at quarterback. And he knows he's got a long ways to go as a passer, but he's willing to work and develop that part of him because he causes so many problems for defenses with his running ability. Well, I'll just throw out a literally a mock scenario from our uh, draft guru, Dane Brugler here at The Athletic. He has his latest mock draft up, and he has the Saints – Trading up to number 17 overall, giving up their first rounder in 2020, their third rounder in 2020, a third and a fourth rounder in 2021 to go up and draft Jordan Love, the quarterback from Utah State. I don't know if they're going to be that aggressive for Jordan Love. I don't know how much they, uh, here comes a cheesy pun, love Jordan Love, but... Yeah, I know. Uh, just Jesus. get the we'll hook. Get Dan- we'll get Danielle to edit Danielle's going to hook, hook, hook me out. <laughs> See you later. The gong. Adios. I fall through like the trap door into like the water pit. But anyway, I, like, I, I just think that that might be a bit of a stretch. I understand they look at it and, and outside looking in, it could be a need. And of course, because Drew might have one more year. And then if you have Taysom, you need a quarterback. And. Maybe Dane's gauging it off of his expertise of next year or the quarterback class, who's going to be around. So, I mean, do you think that's a little far-fetched, or do you think maybe there's something feasible there that if one of these quarterbacks kind of drips down, maybe they make a move? No chance. I don't see that happen at all. And i got a ton of respect for Dane Brugler. I think he was just throwing a dart against the wall or whatever. He, he, they love Taysom Hill, and I think they view him as their quarterback of the future. And I think the key for them is going to be trying to get him under contract long-term to pair with Drew. And if Drew decides to come back, I don't think it's necessarily cemented that it's just for one more year. I think they would have uh, you know, a decision to make there. And I'll say this real quick, Larry, because one of the things I tweeted out over the weekend I wanted to talk about 
uh, you know, Larry uh, Drew Brees has had his reps down there over the weekend, having conversations, negoti- not negotiations, conversations with TV executives to determine what the market would be for him as a broadcaster. And, and that I, I kind of go into a little detail on it, but basically the, the market's wide open right now. Other than Tony Romo and Troy Aikman, uh, there's not a lot of star caliber analysts. And Drew Brees would be walking right in to a huge uh, bidding war for his services. He's such a huge, uh, likable celebrity and his knowledge of the game is so captivating, I think, to these TV executives that he could command right away, Larry, about an eight to nine million dollar a year salary. So Drew Brees has to think about that, right? I mean, yes, it's not twenty million or twenty five million he'd make playing quarterback, but his brain's not getting scrambled either playing quarterback. I mean, being a broadcaster, and it would give him more free time in the future to spend with his family, a more flexible schedule. So I think all they're trying to do right now in the fact-finding mission is determine uh, what his options are post-playing career. I don't think he's going to step into the broadcast booth this year. I think he's going to come back, like I said. But it's something that you can see they're already doing because they they weren't doing this a year ago. So I think things have changed very quickly in the Breeze camp. And I think he understands that his playing career is is it maybe one more year or two more years at most. And I think he's willing to cede that to Taysom Hill because he likes Taysom Hill so much. And he wants what's best for the Saints organization going forward. Uh, so I just thought I'd throw that in there about the broadcast talks because I think that is a viable option for him after he plays. Yeah, I think that's pretty significant because we just saw Greg Olson be let go by the Panthers. It sounds like Fox is willing to be giving him a job. You know that Drew Brees – Monday Night Football booth, boy, I think they would love him after uh, the last few years of Monday Night Football. And they might love him more than Troy Aikman in the Fox number one booth just to bring a fresh face and obviously someone who has the chops uh, of Troy Aikman. Uh, You know, people would argue probably has more chops than Troy Aikman. So, yeah, I think that's certainly something interesting to talk about, which I'm sure we will dive in to the future. But, uh, We'll pivot here in a second as we move on to our Pelicans portion of Duncan Holder. But first, if you were to guess on average how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with a free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com DH for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com DH for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. So, Jeff, 
Pelicans, I feel like now that Zion's back, football's over, people getting into it. I know it's 50 games into the season already. It's kind of weird to say that, but still, uh, you know, you're starting to see where the Pelicans might move into the future. And I went to Friday's game uh, against Memphis and uh, I brought my son and he was so bored after the third quarter, he was ready to go home (laughs) because the Pelicans were whipping the Grizzlies. And, uh, but he, he, First game of the year, he's already got Zion fever. He's literally come up with a new way to cheer for Zion because of his. Uh, I know this is going way over your head, Jeff. So bear with me. No, I love it. He, I love it. He is a he is a big Avengers fan, and of course, the main villain of the Avengers is Thanos. And Zion has talked about how he feels like Z- he relates to Thanos. I don't know, and so. Yes, like Thanos, he could wear the glove and he snaps and everybody goes away and he's just like the most dominant thing on planet Earth or the universe. And so now every time Zion scores, all he wants to do is snap. So he watched Sunday's game anytime or whenever Zion's on TV, he just snaps. So I feel like just seeing great crowd on Friday. I know the Pelicans lost uh, on Sunday leading up to the Super Bowl. Uh, Ten turnovers will do that to you in the first quarter. But still... Uh, there's definite Zion fever. Like I was surprised to see how many butts were in seats on Friday night, and like even though the record's not where it is right now, the interest is there. And you you were talking about just people you were talking about uh, talking to at the Super Bowl, and they wanted to talk to you more about Zion than Drew Brees. No, there's no doubt. I mean, he's a phenomenon. He's so much bigger than Anthony Davis and Chris Paul. And they were great basketball players, great stars in their own right when they came to New Orleans. But we've not seen anything like this in New Orleans. Uh, I, you know, I, can, I consider him to be like Reggie Bush, only bigger because we've had another decade or so of the, of the Instagram, social media crazed era. And, um, you know, I don't know if the NBA has seen anybody like this, Larry. Even LeBron, as, as big as he was when he came in, to the league, uh, there's just there's just is so much more out there in terms of social media, and this kid uh, is such a likable player. I mean, I think it's important to note. I mean, just like your son is has been captivated by him. Uh, he's just a likable guy. He's not, uh, you know, I don't I don't know how to describe it. He, he's he seems approachable to people, and I think that's helped make him the star he is. And he's obviously incredibly uh, talented on the court. He's a spectacular player, but he's made for this modern NBA. And what I mean by that is, and I think you would agree with me, the NBA is such a weird product. You go to the game and there's two and a half hours of action, but there's really only like four or five plays that you remember, right? Well, that's what the NBA is all about. These Zion Williamson type spectacular alley-oops, a block shot, whatever, and it goes viral. That people take it, they clip it. It's short, six second bites. It goes up on social media, it goes on Twitter, Instagram, goes all over the country, and that's what people talk about the next day. Is the one play or two plays Zion had? They don't talk about the game or you know the, the actual course of how the standings are going. They're talking about individual athletic achievement during a game, and Zion is the, the uber guy for that. I mean, that's what he does. Uh, so I'm really. Really fascinated to see how this story plays out in New Orleans because I do think this is the first time in my career that we've had a guy like this that's a transcendent talent that can maybe captivate New Orleans, the casual New Orleans sports fan, even the Saints fan that doesn't care about the NBA might go see this guy play. 
And I could just tell you on my journey uh, on Super Bowl Sunday, I recreated my steps, uh, went to every spot where uh, they had some boycott event last year. And guess what? People weren't boycotting the Saints and people were in bars along Magazine Street. And you've complained so many times over the last years where you can't go to a bar and find a Pelicans game a lot. Uh, I went into one bar. They had four TVs. The next bar had six TVs all on the Pelicans and people wearing Pelicans gear watching the game in the middle of a, of a beautiful uh, Sunday afternoon leading up to the Super Bowl. So there's no doubt that that locally he's become captivated. And there's definitely a difference when he's on the floor and when he's not on the floor. And I think that's a real delicate balance. And, you know, sometimes uh, Alvin Gentry will say, well, when I take Zion out, uh, he only plays 20 minutes. People on the dumbest think of the dumbest coach there is in the NBA. And I think people have to not look at the record this year, which they're 20 and 30 right now. They're five back from the eighth spot and sit 12th in, uh, well, sit 11th in the West right now. You can't look at it as this year. I'm, I know people want immediate results, immediate results. Uh, but you can't look at it this year. And Jeff, let's just think back to it. Uh, one of the players you're, uh, that popped in my head when we're talking about these transcendent players who uh, you're just in awe of them. I go back to Shaq. When he was drafted number one overall, he played the whole season and they didn't even make the playoffs his first mm-hmm. year. Like people forget that. And so it's not just about this year. It's about the next 10 years. And that's why I'm wondering to see with the trade deadline coming up, what moves or moves they don't make uh, because I don't, I'm wondering if they get caught in the immediacy or they look forward to the future with, like I said, the moves or the move that they do make or the moves that they just don't make. Well, David Griffin has said that uh, they want to kind of see this core lineup, uh, kind of see it through the course of the season. I'll be surprised if they make any kind of major deal. Uh, like, I don't think Drew Holiday is going anywhere. I'll be shocked. He's the one player that – most other teams are interested in for his obvious, uh, you know, versatility and and talent. Uh, but from all accounts, Drew Holiday likes at New Orleans. He wants to be a part of this rebuilding uh, phase under um, David Griffin and Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram and that core. So I would be surprised if they moved him. And the only thing I could see happening, Larry, would be the movement of say someone like Etwan Moore or another. They have a lot of redundant parts on this roster. And David Griffin admits that. I mean, they've got a lot of shooting guards. They've got a lot of wing players, uh, and they kind of overlap. And and as a result, Alvin Gentry and his staff have had trouble getting some guys' time uh, and and settling on a a specific rotation because they've got a lot of players that kind of do the same thing with the same skill set. So I could see them moving a guy like that, but I don't think there's going to be anything more than a second-tier, third-tier type of trade because I think this staff knows – and this front office knows that this group's only been together for about a month now uh, with Zion, and they need to kind of see it, how it plays out before they start adding or subtracting parts. Right, and some of the teams that uh, our own Will Guillory brought up in his piece, I go check it out at theathletic.com slash New Orleans. Uh, just some of the trades that make sense, uh, the names everyone's going to be hearing about and the moves that aren't going to be happening. Of course, Drew Holiday is number one. And he mentions how teams like the Nuggets or the Heat might be interested in him. But uh, we're definitely 
in the same boat. I don't think Drew Holiday goes anywhere unless some team totally knocks their socks off, which I don't know if that's going to be happening. But uh, maybe this summer would be something they could look at with Drew Holiday, considering you probably would have an extended period of time with your core pieces. I'm sure they're going to – any kind of offer that a team offers Brandon Ingram as a restricted free agent, I'm sure it'll just be – uh, a similar situation as Eric Gordon. They're going to match it, and he's not going to go anywhere. So, uh, you know, they're going to keep those core pieces together. But in the offseason, it might be interesting to see. They'll know more where they want to be and where they want to go with the pieces that they have. And Holiday could be a hot name certainly in the summer, though. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. Like, I think there will be movement eventually, but I think they want more time to evaluate the current roster. Uh, and they because of they've had so many injuries and so many – uh, you know, moving parts, if you will. The the team I heard Josh Hart say the other day, they haven't. They, it feels like training camp to some degree for them because they haven't had everybody together. And I know that's an excuse, and 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 Pelicans fans certainly have heard that way too often over the years. But it's real this year. This is a whole new roster, and for whatever reason, they had a lot of different things happen with guys like Zion Williamson and Derek Favors' uh, mother died tragically. I mean, there was just a bunch of unforeseen circumstances that hit this roster. And I think they've got to play it out. And I'm like you, the thing that I can definitely say by watching the Pelicans in the last few weeks is there's a lot of talent on this roster. When you watch them play, I think it's the most talented roster they've had since maybe the early days when they had, uh, you know, David West and Chris Paul and that group that went to the semifinals of the Western Conference. The problem is there's a lot of young players in that group and there's a lot of raw talent, and they're trying to figure out how to play together. And as well as they've been playing lately, I think they were 14 of their last 21 they won. They still haven't made up any ground. Actually, they've lost a little ground on Memphis in the number eight seed. Memphis, even though they drubbed them the other day at the Smoothie King Center, they still got a five-game lead. And there's a bunch of teams between the Pelicans and the Grizzlies that the Pelicans would have to leap over to get there. I think it's going to be a tall task, even though the schedule is much easier for them to get into the playoffs. But I think what people want to see, Pelicans fans want to see, is continued improvement and progress. I think they want to see progress on the court. And when they keep taking a step back like they did the other night, you mentioned it, the turnovers, the sloppy play down the stretch, I think it causes a lack of confidence among the fans that this is going to continue to be the story going forward. And I think it's going to cause David Griffin in the front office at some point to have to make a difficult decision if they think Alvin Gentry is the coach to carry this roster forward uh, after this season. Well, Jeff, all you got to do is look at uh, the difference between even the seventh and eighth team with the Thunder and the Grizzlies. Uh, the Thunder are five up on the Grizzlies. So basically eight through 12 or eight through 13 are basically similar teams. They're all yes. just kind of floating around. So if you get in, great. If not, okay. Maybe you could get a better draft pick to set the other. So, but yeah, I, I'm with you in that. I think an encouraging thing uh, that you see is that Brandon Ingram is an All Star, and the fact that he is an All Star player, you've gotten. That's the. Let's think back to the Chris Paul trade. Eric Gordon never made the All Star team uh, when he he was with the Hornets. Obviously not Chris Kamen and Al Farouk Aminu, and none of those things ever panned out. Year one, you have an all-star, a bona fide all-star with Brandon Ingram. And you pair him up with Zion going forward. Seems like a good young duo of one-two punch. 
Duke ties, you know? So I think that uh, the fact that Ingram was able to elevate his play, stay on the court, be healthy, uh, and I think even though the record is what it is, 20 and 30, that they are an improving team. And, uh, you know, but I do understand kind of the, uh, the you beat me over the head with this. Oh, they're they're improving. They're getting there. They're getting there. And that's that's not David Griffith's fault. It's the previous GM regime, Dell Demps, where they heard it again and again and again and, and couldn't deliver. And so, uh, but I'm with you. I, I think that this team. Uh, what do we have? 32 games left. Uh, plenty of eyeballs are going to be watching. And for, in, in that sense. So far, so good uh, as far as with Zion coming back, even though the record isn't overly uh, spectacular so far. Well, I'm really interested to watch them play Milwaukee tonight. I mean, Milwaukee has the best record in the NBA. Uh, they're 42-7. and seven. They're 19-4 and four on the road. This could be a huge matchup, uh, not only for the Pelicans, but I'm interested to see if this game sells out. It's midweek. Uh, we're going to get a good feel for... Uh, you know, the interest level of the Pelicans right now. I think it will sell out. It's a national team, nationally televised game. Uh, but I'm interested to see how well the Pelicans can compete with the Bucks in a marquee game with basically everybody in the lineup healthy right now. Uh, I don't know if they're going to win the game. I mean, that's a that's a lot to ask. But just to see how they compete. Uh, and, and I will say this also, Larry. They haven't had trouble competing in these kind of games, right? We see them go out against the Lakers earlier this year and play a great game. Uh, they've they've they tend to rise and fall to the level of their competition, and that's kind of the hallmark of a young team. So they could compete well tonight, but what are they going to do when they play on the road against the Brooklyn Nets in the future and lay an egg? And that's been the problem with this team uh, going forward. But I'm really really interested to see Zion against Giannis tonight. Uh, it's going to be a great marquee matchup for the league, and I guarantee you this, Larry. In closing. Uh, the, no one is happier about Zion than the NBA and ESPN, uh, their big broadcast partners, because ratings were way down across the league. Uh, there were a lot of factors that contributed to that, but Zion Williamson was one of those factors. Him being hurt certainly hurt the ratings around the league, and we see it now. Every time they play any type of marquee opponent, the NBA is moving that game to a national broadcast. That's how big a star he is. Yeah, you can't turn on your TV without seeing him these days, especially ESPN. He's he's everywhere. And uh, look, it's good for the team. Curious to see how this thing goes forward. But uh, I stress, and I feel like you and me are probably going to have to say this again and again and again on this podcast. It's not about this year. It's about getting this team to move forward next year and the year after that because these young pieces, they're going to be around for a while. So I think that's something... We're going to have to uh, keep in perspective. So on that note, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Duncan Holder podcast. Of course, you can check out our podcast on theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. Of course, you can subscribe through there. Get 40% off your first year annual subscription. So absolutely worth it. All All of our podcasts, all of our great coverage locally, nationally, internationally, all over theathletic.com. Uh, tremendous coverage, of course, uh, with the NFL and the NBA and anything else you're interested in, we have it. And of course, you could also get our podcast wherever you get your own podcast, Apple, Spotify, uh, wherever you 
get your podcast, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, tell 20, tell a million uh, to get on board the Duncan Holder podcast. So I want to thank our producer, Danielle. Hopefully I don't get the hook for my lame Jordan Love pun. I probably will be getting the hook because Danielle, uh, uh, she might just get the hockey stick out. I know she's a she's a hockey player and she might just cross-check me and, and, and get me off the board. So uh, on that note, want to thank her as always. So for Jeff, for Larry, Uh, Appreciate you jumping on the Duncan Holder podcast here on the Athletics Podcast Network.